1: Few of us perform the same jobs for our entire lives. Some may go from stocking shelves as teens to selling stocks when we're older. We may even change careers entirely later in life. No one is defined by what they do for a living. It's just a piece of who we are, along with our families, our friends, and the hobbies we enjoy in our free time. But for one woman, her job didn't just come to define her. It changed the way that we see the entire universe. Born in Dundee, Scotland in 1857, Wilhelmina eventually became a teacher and was married at 20 to an accountant named James Orr Fleming. In 1878, Mr. and Mrs. Fleming emigrated to the United States, settling in Boston, where they had a son, Edward. Sadly, Wilhelmina's life took a dark turn sometime later when her husband up and left the family. Forced to find work outside of the house, she took a job as a maid for a man named Edward Charles Pickering, he ran the Harvard College Observatory with the staff of several male assistants for clerical work, such as classifying stars. But one day, Pickering, upset with the quality of work being done by his assistants, shouted, My Scottish maid could do better. Well, his wife agreed and encouraged him to bring Fleming on as an assistant. And Wilhelmina excelled, transitioning from dusting and changing diapers to studying the data coming into the observatory. Pickering even taught her how to analyze how light, or spectra, broke down from the stars. She then viewed this spectra on photographic plates provided to her by him. He obtained these images by positioning a prism in front of the telescope's lens, which split the light into a spectrum of darkened light bands. Much like a fingerprint, each array was unique, and it was Fleming's job to examine them and record any anomalies. And she did cataloging the stars based on the amounts of hydrogen present in their spectra. Now, her official title might be confusing to folks today. It was Computer, which was what typists and analysts were called back then. She even started a group at the college called the Harvard Computers, made up entirely of women who worked for Pickering doing jobs just like hers. But she didn't stop there. Wilhelmina went above and beyond, earning a spot on a new project called the Henry Draper Catalog. It was being funded by Mary Anna Draper, whose late husband Henry had been an astronomer, and the first person to take a photograph of the moon using a telescope. Wilhelmina was appointed the leader of the project, but wound up butting heads with her colleague and fellow astronomer Antonia Mori. Mori wanted to classify the stars using their temperatures, size, and the strength of their spectra. It was a more complicated way of organizing the data whereas Wilhelmina chose to utilize a simple alphabetical method for classifying the stars instead. Eventually, Wilhelmina's system was improved by another computer, Annie Jump Cannon, who organized the stars based on their surface temperatures. This became known as the Harvard System of Spectral Classification and is still used to this day. The Henry Draper catalog was completed in 1890 and contained over 10,000 stars, many of which had been classified by Wilhelmina Her work eventually earned her the position of Curator of Astronomical Photographs at Harvard, the first woman to step into such a role. But perhaps her most recognized accomplishment occurred two years before the publication of the Henry Draper catalog. In 1888, Wilhelmina was examining a photogrammetry plate given to her by William Pickering, Edward's brother. She noted a nebula among the constellation Orion, with a Semi circular indentation, five minutes in diameter, 30 minutes south of Zeta Orinus. To the average stargazer, it looked just like a horse, hence its name, the Horsehead Nebula. She also went on to identify the first white dwarf star, although her name was left off of almost every one of her discoveries. Almost all of them had been attributed to the Pickerings. It would be another 20 years before she'd get the credit that she rightly deserved. Wilhelmina Fleming started out her career as a maid. An important job, for sure, but one that seriously underutilized her talents. She went down in history as a prolific astronomer, a staunch supporter of women in science. It turned out that Edward Pickering was right all along. His Scottish maid could do better.
0: For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
1: This episode is sponsored by Intuit. and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T dot com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Humankind is no stranger to atrocity. Look throughout history and it's clear that there isn't much humanity to be found within humanity. And few horrors measure up to what the Nazi regime carried out during the Second World War. They murdered millions and performed countless acts of torture on men, women, and children from all over Europe. At the center of it all was the Nazis' belief that the world should be rid of inferior races and populated with only the finest Aryan offspring, children who were deemed what they called racially pure, and of pure blood. And so, in 1935, the Lebensborn Project was started. It was the brainchild of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's second-in-command, and one of the main drivers behind the Holocaust. Lebensborn, or Fount of Life, became a primary endeavor for Himmler in his pursuit of eugenic supremacy for the Nazis. It was originally centered around providing support for families who were of the proper lineage, with big sarcastic air quotes here in the recording booth, trust me. This also meant caring for wards of the state, and single mothers if they were of the correct racial and biological makeup. Single pregnant women who needed help could come to a Lebensborn maternity home and give birth without facing judgment from their family. But unfortunately, the initiative grew into more than a welfare system for down-on-their-luck German women. The goal was to increase the birth rate, and so women were often recruited to partner with SS officers in order to give birth to the next generation of Nazi soldiers. And the program wasn't just confined to Germany, either. By 1939, numbers were not growing fast enough, so more extreme measures needed to be taken. The Nazis kidnapped children from other countries, such as Norway and Russia, and the native populations of those countries also gave birth to half-German offspring, the fathers being Nazi soldiers. One of those children, born in November of 1945, was Annie Fried Sini-Lingstad. She was born in Ballingen, Norway, where she lived with her father, a Wehrmacht sergeant, and her mother and grandmother. After the war, her father went back to Germany, though, leaving Annie Fried and her family behind. However, they didn't stay there for long. Afraid that they might be attacked for helping the Nazis, Annie Frieda and her grandmother fled to Sweden while her mother stayed back in Norway to work reuniting with them a few years later. After the tragic passing of her mother to kidney failure at the young age of 21, young Annie Fried and her grandmother moved around Sweden before settling down in 1949. She had a lonely upbringing, but spent many of her summers with her aunts and uncle back in Norway, giving her a connection to her home country. And when she returned to Sweden, her grandmother was there to welcome her back. Annie Fried's grandmother often sang old Norwegian songs around the house, instilling a love of music in her granddaughter. This passion blossomed as she grew up. She performed in school and around town for others. But her first real foray into professional entertainment came when she was a teenager, kicking off her career by singing with a 15-piece big band. She trained on jazz standards and came to idolize the vocal stylings of American singers like Ella Fitzgerald and Peggy Lee. As she got older, Anna Fried went on television and won a record deal after her first appearance. This ultimately led to her first album, titled Frida after her nickname growing up. It was released in 1971 and produced by Benny Anderson, her fiancé at the time. Benny was friends with another married couple, Agnetha and her husband Bjorn, who performed as backup singers on one of Frida's hit songs. They sounded good together, too, and over the next few years, the foursome began singing under the name Bjorn and Benny, Agnetha and Annie Fried, which didn't exactly quite fit on any marquees. It wasn't until 1973 when the band's manager, Stig Anderson, helped them find their new identity. He'd been referring to them with a shorthand version of their names for a while, and decided to just make it official. From that point on, Bjorn and Benny, Agnetha and Annie Freed were no more. Using just their initials, he combined them together into a single word, and the rest was musical history. World War II led to some truly horrendous crimes by some of the worst people on the planet. But out of that horror came a voice, one that went on to define a generation. The voice of ABBA. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.